We're only just over a week removed from the final day of the Orioles season, but Mike Elias is already making roster moves. However, this one may not impact next year's team too much, as the Orioles claimed outfielder Jake Cave from the Twins and DFA'd righty Jake Reed to make room on the roster. I'll break down that entire roster move, plus got something to get off my chest about the Orioles' offseason plans. That's all coming up on this episode of the Locked On Orioles podcast. You are Locked On Orioles, your daily Baltimore Orioles podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hey there, Orioles fans. Today is Thursday, October 13th, 2022, and welcome back in to the Locked On Orioles podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. As always, I'm your host, Connor Newcomb. And coming up on today's episode, we're going to talk about an Orioles roster move. Yeah, it wasn't the biggest move, and it certainly will not be the biggest move of the offseason for the Orioles, but they claimed outfielder Jake Cave off waivers from the Minnesota Twins and DFA'd right-handed pitcher Jake Reed to make room on the roster. First, I'll break down Cave's career so far in Minnesota, what he did well defensively, what he didn't do so well lately offensively, and why the Orioles even made this move. Then we'll talk about Jake Reed's short tenure with the Orioles and if he potentially could be back with the O's at any point next season. Then at the end of the pod, I wanted to just address some reactions to, you know, talk about the Orioles maybe going after a big money shortstop in free agency this offseason and why it is certainly a good idea. But that's all coming up on this episode of the Locked On Orioles podcast. Before we get there, though, just did want to thank you for making Locked On Orioles your first podcast listen of the day. We're still going five days a week here throughout the MLB postseason, Monday through Friday. Wherever you get your pods on audio, you can listen. You can watch us here on the Locked On Orioles YouTube page as well. Make sure to like, comment, and subscribe to the page. We thank you so much. And we got a lot of fun coming up here on the podcast. Of course, yesterday we started our 2022 player season review series. We had Ryan Blake on from Give That Fan a Podcast. And we talked about Felix Bautista and his incredible rookie season turning into the Orioles closer. Make sure to go check that one out on yesterday's episode. And then tomorrow we continue that series talking about Ryan Mountcastle's roller coaster 2022 season. We'll hit on pretty much every player who made an impact for the Orioles this year throughout that series this offseason. So make sure you're subscribed wherever you listen, wherever you watch to get all those episodes. And again, we thank you for making Locked on Orioles your first listen of the day. For your first listen today, O's made a roster move, and it's Jake Cave. And if you've watched a good amount of baseball over the last few years, you probably at least recognize the name. Now, this is not an everyday starting outfielder that the Orioles have picked up, but the roster move on Tuesday, the Orioles claiming the outfielder Jake Cave off waivers from the Minnesota Twins. So first, just wanted to get you the background on Cave, what kind of player he is, and why the Orioles would make this claim. So first of all, Jake Cave is a defense-first outfielder at this point in his career, and he kind of always was, although he had some solid tools when he was in the minor leagues. Now, he's already 29 years old, a left-handed hitter and a left-handed thrower, stands about 6 feet tall, 200 pounds, and he will be 30 actually this December, so next year will be his age 30 season. Now, he was a sixth-round selection of the New York Yankees all the way back in the 2011 draft. He eventually was traded to the Minnesota Twins, and that is who he made 
his MLB debut with. Got to the big leagues with the Twins back in 2018, playing 91 games with Minnesota that year. Had over 300 plate appearances with Minnesota as a rookie at age 25 in 2018. And that is still his best season, probably. His most plate appearances, he had a 109 WRC+. He had a 1.1 war. He hit 265 that year. He had 13 home runs. He didn't look like a star, but he looked like he was turning into a productive player in what was a half big league season with the Twins. So he came back with Minnesota, obviously, in 2019. They were hoping he would win a starting outfield spot. And although he didn't necessarily, he again played about half a season, about 230 plate appearances, 72 games. He was still productive in 2019. He had a career-best 114 WRC plus that year, only eight home runs, but he hit 258. He had a 351 on base percentage, which was a very, very strong number for him. And the Twins felt, well, at the very least, we have a good platoon bat and maybe a fringe starting outfielder who can hit for us and potentially an everyday starter. And then things just kind of fell apart for Jake Cave. In the shortened 2020 season, he got a solid amount of playing time. 42 games, 123 plate appearances, had just an 85 WRC+. The defense got better, the offense got worse. 2021 comes along, things got very, very ugly. In 76 games last year with the Twins, 178 plate appearances, he had a 50 WRC+. That means he was 50% worse than a league average hitter last season. He was one of the worst hitters in baseball. Hit just 189, 249 on base, no power whatsoever. A 293 slugging percentage for Cave last year. And although the offense got a little better this year, it still wasn't good. His 2022 stats with Minnesota in 54 games, because he did spend a good chunk of the year in AAA, a little time on the injured list, but mainly just couldn't crack the big league roster until kind of the latter part of the season. But in 54 games with the Twins, Cave had 177 plate appearances, and he had just an 81 WRC+. He hit 213 with a 260 on base, and although he hit for more power, the slugging went up to 384 this year. It just wasn't there, and he got his strikeout rate down to 27%, which was a career low, and he got his walk rate up to 6.2%, second best of his career, so some things started trending in a positive direction this year for Cave. He did have five home runs, and he had a, a pretty good defensive season in the outfield for Minnesota, and that's why he was actually worth .5 war, according to Fangraphs. Despite being a pretty bad hitter, he was almost a great defensive outfielder, and even in playing sparingly, that's how he was be able to you know make himself worth a half a win this year. But again, it, it wasn't pretty offensively, especially in 2021, and again, it got a little better in 2022, but I think he's probably, at best a left-hander that platoons, and more so a defensive replacement, fourth to fifth outfielder type in the big leagues at this point. And you're looking at a Twins team that kind of collapsed down the stretch and still felt it was okay to DFA him. Now, the Twins do have some solid outfield depth, got a lot of young guys in the big leagues and some guys in their system. And, of course, they'll get Byron Buxton back. So you understand why they DFA Jake Cave. He was out of options. But, again, not good stuff. Now, what I will say about Jake Cave is that he didn't get a lot of chances to hit against lefties this year because he is a left-handed batter. But when he did, he wasn't terrible. He hit 273 against lefties this year in 33 plate appearances, hit 198 against righties on the season. 
So he's not like the worst splits guy of all time where he can't even hit a lefty. That certainly helps him just get on the field. And then defensively as well, again, this is why he still has value in the big leagues despite the bat. I mean, just kind of clearly not being there. I mean, it's crazy to think that he had two really, really solid offensive seasons his first two years. And maybe the Orioles think they can get him back to that and have him be at least some sort of platoon piece for them. But when you look at him defensively, he still gives you value. And that is at least a positive for the Orioles. Cave in the outfield this year for Minnesota in about 400 innings had three defensive runs saved. So he was better than average in the outfield. Outs above average had him right around average. Defensive runs saved had him above average. Generally across the board, he's thought of uh, as a good defensive outfielder who can play all three outfield positions. He played about 300 innings in left field this year, about 65 innings in right field. And he played 15 innings in center field, although he does have over a 1,000 career innings in center field, including in 2018 when he was basically the everyday center fielder down the stretch for Minnesota. So he can play all three outfield positions well. He's a left-handed bat, not a great runner. He's got a few stolen bases in his career, but not a slow guy by any stretch of the imagination. And he's a left-handed batter who doesn't you know, struggle super mightily to hit lefties. It's just kind of in general, the bat really isn't there. So to answer kind of the final question on Jake Cave, which is why the Orioles claimed him, well, A, you're at the point in the offseason where the playoffs are still going on. So you can't sign free agents. You're not really going to be able to trade guys, especially with other teams focused at this point on the postseason. So you're looking to add to the margins here. You know, if anybody gets waived, you scour waivers and see if you'd be interested in picking anybody up. And for Jake Cave right now, he is a better version of Brett Phillips. And what he looks to be is kind of a left-handed hitting Ryan McKenna. That's kind of what you can call Jake Cave with a little less speed. A left-handed hitting Ryan McKenna. Now, is that the most flattering comparison? No, it's not. But it's something for the Orioles. And if they think there's something there in Cave's game, whether it's, you know, a contact profile or whether it could be, you know, something in his swing that they think they can change or whether it's just even more defensive value that they can get out of him, it's at least worth taking a shot because as we'll talk about in a second, they didn't have to sacrifice a sacred spot on the 40-man roster to claim Cave. They DFA'd Jake Reed, who wasn't a very big part of the Orioles this year. So yeah, maybe Jake Cave is on the 40-man roster all offseason. The Orioles see something big for him and he comes to spring training and competes for a spot. I can see that. What I see as being more likely is that Jake Cave is on the O's for a bit on the 40-man roster the next time they want to make a 40-man move, they want to add somebody else, maybe you know around the Rule 5 draft, they go ahead and DFA him, and they hope that they can slip him through waivers. Remember, since he got to the Orioles, he passed about halfway through waivers. So if the O's think, hey, maybe we can get him the rest of the way through waivers, 
Then they have a chance to keep him in their organization without using a 40-man spot, have him be AAA depth in the outfield, and work on maybe something they see in his swing that can get him back to the hitter he was in 2018 and 2019. So don't freak out. The O's aren't taking on Cave to be their starting left fielder next year. They just got a guy who can run okay, plays good defense, has a really strong arm, and is a left-handed bat who has had previous success and good major league experience. Will he be an Oriole next year? Maybe not. But at this point in the season, or in the offseason, I should say, it's fine to take some gambles like this and see if one of them pays off. It's low risk and maybe potentially high reward for the Orioles. But to make this move and to get Jake Cave on the 40-man roster, the Orioles, of course, had to DFA somebody because they had a full 40-man going into the offseason. So, to make room there, they DFA'd Jake Reed. It was a Jake-for-Jake move for the Orioles. And coming up next, we'll talk about why Reed was the guy, his time with the O's, and if he could be back with Baltimore at all. But before we do that, I gotta tell you about Roan. Because I know for many of you, it can be tough to find the perfect dress shirt. You know, some don't fit exactly the way you want them to. Others, you know, they kind of get sweaty and they start to smell. And others just don't have that combination of, you know, well, they fit right, they feel good, and they look good as well. Well, Roan's commuter shirt is the most comfortable, breathable, and flexible shirt known to man. And here's why. They've got a comfortable four-way stretch fabric that provides breathability and flexibility that leaves you free to enjoy what life throws your way from your commute to work to 18 holes of golf. So it's time to feel confident with a wrinkle-free shirt without the hassle. And with Gold Fusion anti-odor technology, you'll be smelling fresh and clean all day long. And these Roan shirts 100% machine washable. So, hey, makes your life a little bit easier. So that commuter shirt can get you through any workday and straight into whatever comes next. So head to roan.com slash locked on and use promo code locked on to save 20% off your entire order. That's 20% off your entire order when you head to roan.com. That's R-H-O-N-E.com slash locked on and use code locked on. It's time to find your corner office comfort. So we're breaking down an Orioles roster move here on this episode of the podcast. They claimed Jake Cave, the outfielder from the Minnesota Twins, off waivers. And to make room on the 40-man roster, the Orioles DFA'd the right-handed pitcher, Jake Reed. Now, we didn't see a whole lot of Jake Reed in Oriole uniform this year. And in fact, he even spent the end of the year technically in AAA Norfolk, although he never actually pitched a game for Norfolk. Now, Reed, the right-hander who you know most from his just sidewinding, crazy delivery from the right side. The Orioles picked him up this year after he had pitched with the Mets and the Dodgers and was DFA'd a couple of times, and the Orioles claimed him late in the season. And basically what Reed was, was bullpen help who had pitched at the big leagues because a lot of their rookie guys we're just kind of getting tired and we're falling off a little bit. So the Orioles pick up Jake Reed and he ends up pitching in eight games 
for the O's. And in five and two-thirds innings of work with the Orioles, he allowed four earned runs on seven hits. He struck out five. He hit two batters, and he walked one. And of course, the one big moment everyone remembers from Jake Reed is that crazy game against the Astros when he came in for an exhausted Felix Bautista and gave up kind of a very unlucky go-ahead two-run single in the top of the ninth inning. Now, for Reed, he was later optioned to AAA with a couple days left in the season. For Jake Reed, he was really just filler. I mean, he's 30 years old. He's a sidewinder who had spent a long time in the minor leagues. And quite frankly, there was no way he was surviving the offseason on the 40-man roster. If he wasn't getting DFA'd now, he was getting DFA'd for the next waiver claim, or he was certainly getting DFA'd when the Orioles have to add some prospects to the 40-man roster. So you might as well just make the move now if you have a guy in Jake Cave who you think can help your team more than a guy like Jake Reed did. The decision is... Pretty much that simple. And yeah, he was, you know, good against right-handers and that stuff is nasty to watch. And I'll admit it's fun to watch him pitch. And hey, maybe he stays with the Orioles. You know, if he clears waivers, he has the opportunity to potentially decide to stay in the Orioles organization. Now, the fact that it is the offseason probably means that if he does clear waivers, he'll probably elect free agency. Now, the O's could bring him back on a minor league deal if they really liked his stuff. I could see that happening. But I don't see Jake Reed being a huge, huge part of the bullpen going into next year. But I wouldn't be surprised if Michael Elias found a way to either keep him in the organization or get him back into the organization before spring training of 2023. There's not much more to say about Jake Reed. Again, we only saw eight appearances of him out of the Oriole bullpen at the end of the season. And I think there's something there. You know, if you're getting thrown back and forth by the Dodgers and the Mets the last two years, a couple of teams that won over 100 games this season, you're probably doing something right. So that's something the Orioles can hang their hat on. So I'd like to see him back, not in a big role, maybe a minor league deal. Let's see what he can do. I kind of just like watching him pitch. It's it's a cool arm angle. It's funky and it's deceptive and it can get some guys out. Other guys aren't fooled by it, but hey, it's a sidewinder. It's nice to always have a sidewinder in the bullpen, but he was DFA'd to make room for Jake Cave. But as we've talked about, you know, this move, not going to be anywhere near, hopefully. I don't think so. Anywhere near to the biggest moves the Orioles make this offseason. Mike Elias talked about how it's going to be liftoff for the Orioles this offseason. They're going to greatly increase the payroll. They're going to spend money. They're going to make some trades. They're going to get this team a lot better heading into 2023 as they are ready to compete. And it's not just going to be moves on the margins like we've seen the last few offseasons. It's not just going to be the claims of the Jake Caves or the Jake Reeds of the world. It's going to be real legitimate big league ballplayers that are going to join this club. But it seems like some of the fan base, and this could just be a Twitter thing, or it could be more across the board of Orioles fans. And let me know if you feel the same way here in the YouTube comments. But it feels like people think there's two direct paths you have to take. And they have no combination, that they are completely, in one sense, parallel, and they can never cross paths at all. That is the, do we win now, or do we prepare to win for the future? And I think a lot of people don't understand that you can do both at the same time. So coming up next, we're going to talk about how that's possible for the Orioles this offseason 
and why this argument is specifically coming up when talking about signing one of those big-name free agent shortstops that could really help the Orioles for years to come. So we're breaking down potential moves for the Orioles offseason. Talked about a move they already made, bringing in Jake Cave, DFAing Jake Reed. But there's been a lot of talk about, you know, these paths the Orioles should be on. Are they ready to go for it now? Should they still be working in rebuild mode? What will the O's look like this offseason? What will they look like in 2023 after a greatly positive 2022 season with 83 wins out of nowhere, adding 31 wins to the total from 21 to 22? So what's next? Again, Mike Elias has talked about liftoff. They're going to spend. They're going to acquire players. They're going to make this team better and ready to compete in 2023. I fully believe what he said and that the O's are going to look like that next season. But I just kind of wanted to get something off my chest about this Orioles offseason and the plans for it and what it's going to look like. Specifically addressing the free agent infielders and the free agent shortstop class. Because potentially, depending on some opt-outs and other things, Carlos Correa... Trey Turner, Xander Bogarts could all be free agents this offseason. That is a heck of a shortstop class. Dansby Swanson could be in that group too. You look at those four guys, those are four top-tier shortstops, middle-of-the-order guys who play good defense, really stars, all all-stars in Major League Baseball. They could all be out there. 20-plus teams are going to be in on at least thinking of the possibility of signing any of those four guys. And the Orioles are going to be one of those teams this offseason. And whether it's Correa or Turner or Bogarts or Swanson, each of those guys would help the Orioles get better next season. And that's where I think some people maybe are just overlooking this or not quite understanding what's going on here. There seems to be these two paths. And People think you have to fall into one. You either fall into the Orioles are going for the World Series in 2023 and they're going all in and they're trading all their prospects and they're spending all the money and they're going to win next year. Or there's the we're hugging all our prospects tight to the vest. You're not trading any of them away. You're not spending any money on guys that play positions where some of our top prospects play. You're waiting for the young guys to come up you're putting together one of the youngest teams in baseball, and you're going to win with all the prospects for 10, 15, 20 years. Neither of those things are going to happen because neither of those things are great business for the Orioles right now in the business of winning baseball games. The answer is in the middle, and this is what I need people to understand. Let's take Trey Turner, for example. I think Trey Turner is an amazing baseball player. He's a leadoff hitter. He's got elite speed. He plays a great shortstop. He can also play the outfield. He's done it much of his career. A 130 WRC plus this year. He hits for average. He hits for power. He's got a little too much swing and miss in his game, but otherwise a great baseball player. I would love to see Trey Turner on the Orioles. I would love to see the Orioles give Trey Turner... A, let's say, five-year, whatever it needs to be, five-year, $125 million deal. Let's say that's the deal. He might get more years than that and more money. Five years, $125 million. 
let's make it, you know, six years, 150 million. You give him 25 a year. You lock him down for six years to be your shortstop. Getting a lot of pushback on wanting the Orioles to do that. And the argument being, well, they can't win right now. We got to win for the future. We can't block our shortstops like Jordan Westberg or Jackson Holiday. No, no, no. Trey Turner is better than both of those players. So there's two parts of this argument I want to break down. Number one is a good to great major league shortstop, Correa, Bogarts, Swanson, Turner, they all fall in that category. They are all far and away right now better than Jordan Westberg. They are way better right now than 18-year-old Jackson Holiday. They are way better right now than Joey Ortiz. Joey Ortiz had a great year. Jordan Westberg had a great year. Jackson Holiday's the number one overall pick. Got a lot of promise. Those guys could be great shortstops at the big league level. But none of them have shown that they are Trey Turner. None of them have even played in the big leagues. So if you have the money to go out and get Trey Turner, why would you not? And would you decide on going with a guy who is less proven and is not as good? It doesn't make sense if you're trying to make your baseball team better. And I get you don't want to trade away these guys. You don't want to block them. But if Jordan Westberg and Joey Ortiz are good enough to play in the big leagues, they will be in the big leagues next year. Whether it's at second base or DHing or finding another way to be on the team. Or they'll be traded for legitimate top-tier starting pitching that can help this Orioles team win games. Either way, it's a win-win for the O's. If they are hitting well enough to be in the bigs next year on a team that's trying to win, they're going to be in the bigs. The O's are going to find a place to play them on the field if there's a guy like a Trey Turner solidified at shortstop. So you don't have to worry about that. And don't give me, oh, you gotta, you know, you know, you can't sign a guy for six years. You're gonna block Jackson Holiday. Jackson Holiday's 18 years old. I think he's gonna be great. He's the number one pick. We have no idea how good he's gonna be in the big leagues yet. And we're not even gonna know that for three or four years. You gotta have a better option for those three or four years. And you could argue, oh, Joey Ortiz, Westberg are those better options. Trey Turner, Carlos Correa are even better options than that if we're trying to win games. And here's the other big thing. I see a lot of pushback on, well, why would you, you know, spend all this money on Trey Turner? Why are you going all in for one year, 2023, when we're trying to build a dynasty for 10 years? The Orioles are trying to build a dynasty. I think they're working in that direction. I think they're doing a pretty solid job. But do you hear me talk about giving Trey Turner one year and 50 million? No. I wouldn't like the Orioles to give out any one-year big money contracts. That's not where they're at as a team. That's where maybe the Mets are at as a team, or the Dodgers, or the Braves, or the Yankees are at as a team. That's not where the Orioles are at as a team. The Orioles are at the point where they should give out a long-term contract to a great young player, like Trey Turner. Six years of Trey Turner is helping you build a dynasty. Because not only will Trey Turner make your team better in 2023, but he'll make it better in 2024 and 2025 and 26 and 27 and 28 and so on and so on. That's what I don't think is clicking for some people. When I'm saying sign these free agents, I don't, I'm not giving out one year, $30 million deals. I'm giving out long-term deals that are smart for the Orioles. They're bringing in good players. They're going to help them down the line. And again, if Jackson Holiday is the real deal, when he gets to the big leagues in 2024 or 2025, 
He's going to be on the roster if he's the real deal. Maybe Trey Turner's a second baseman by then and Holiday plays short. Maybe Holiday's over at third. Gunnar Henderson's at short and Trey Turner's at second. Maybe one of those guys is more of a DH or turns into an outfielder or you know finds a different position, whatever it may be. Or maybe that guy gets traded for a legit ace when the O's are in a playoff run and it helps them win a World Series. That's great too. You got to add good established major leaguers in free agency. It goes back to the thing I talk about all the time. You can't rely on prospects. They're not proven yet, no matter how high their prospect pedigree is. And I love Adley and I love Gunner and they've proven it. But these other guys in the minors, they're not as good as those guys were in the minors. Not as big of prospects and they're not proven yet. So just take that into account. The long-term contracts for these good players... That also helps you build a sustained winner because they're going to be around for four, five, six years. And when that guy signs there, then other free agents are going to sign here. And the team gets better and better and better. And you keep building that depth in the minor leagues as well for depth, for backup, to be able to trade for better players at the big leagues. That's how they're building this thing. So it's go time. Spend that money. Let's get good for 2023 and 24 and 25 and 26 by bringing in these players who are going to be there for that long for the Orioles. That's what I wanted to get off my chest. Just been bugging me a little bit, but it's lift off this offseason for the Orioles. And it's lift off on this podcast, too. We got one more episode coming out this week. Tomorrow, Paul Valley of the Bat Around is back on the pod. We're talking Ryan Mountcastle's 2022 season, the great first half, the struggles in the second half, and why, when you dig deeper into his numbers, he may have actually been better this year than he was last year. And we really didn't notice it. And I'll tell you why I'm not worried at all about Ryan Mountcastle's future. That's coming up on tomorrow's episode. But until then, I'm Connor Newcomb, and this has been the Locked On Orioles podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team, every day.